Father, as we take a break from the book of Romans this week for a special Father's Day message from Ephesians, we ask that the Holy Spirit would help us and give us eyes of understanding to see the truth and that you'd open up our ears that we could hear that still small voice that's speaking to us, God himself, with instructions and wisdom and comfort and insights that we need to enjoy your richest blessings and to be a blessing to others. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, Father's Day has arrived right on schedule as it has been doing since 1910 when it first began. Um, When we recognize our dads as we did this morning in prayer and such for their vital roles and Always a nice day. It usually happens in June, right? Usually. It's always in June, and we get good weather. We get to enjoy family gatherings, and there's usually grilling involved. How many of you are going to barbecue? Yes, indeed. A lot of hands went up there. And, you know, there's always giving of cards and gifts. Now, Um, Regarding those gifts, I saw an interesting article about Father's Day giving, and I broke it down to some interesting stats here. And one of those statistics was regarding the top four categories of Father's Day gifts, presents that we purchased for pops, okay? Coming in first place, special outings. Sport events and dinners. We have spent $2.5 billion with a B. In second place, uh, some sort of electronic gadget. Surprise, <laughs> not really. Uh, $1.7 billion with a B goes out each year for electronic devices. And then in third place, clothing. Now, clothing, $1.8 billion is spent. It didn't take first a place for the amount of money spent, but it did come in first for most frequently given and most popular give, gift, that is. So something for dad to wear. It makes sense, doesn't it? It's uh, convenient. It's affordable. It's practical. A nice dress shirt, a, a new tie, some cool socks, right? <laughs> Uh, It's just easy and done, right? We get dad something to put on. Well, as it turns out, the Bible says that the Lord has something for his dads and everybody else, but his dads, especially today, to put on. And we're going to take a look at that. Something invaluable for all Christian fathers that they need to wear to be effective and productive in their lives. In fact, their success in life from God's point of view, is determined by whether or not they put it on. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, Dad and everyone else. 
Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on, wear, the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything to stand, it will go on, and we will finish up later, but for now, 14 verse A says, stand firm then, and then he will itemize the pieces of this military metaphor, the armor of God, piece by piece, uh, standing for the different kinds of Christian disciplines that come with our faith and our salvation that are keys to living a safe and sound protected life in a world with uh, unseen adversaries. And so we're going to pause here at these verses and begin with a little context. Here in Ephesians, Paul is writing from prison and he's chained to a heavily guarded, soul, a heavily art, armed soldier. There's a lot of hard uh, pronunciations in that little sentence. And so he's chained to a guard, all right? That's what's going on here. And his, his, uh, he has a lot of time on his hands, and so he's prayerful, spending those hours looking at the guard across from him and and understanding that Christians are in a spiritual battle and he's just come up, Holy Spirit has inspired him to take a look at each piece of the armor and, and find it as an analogy to a Christian aspect of life that when we understand it and access it and cooperate with it, we are protected in this world with unseen threats abounding. And so that's really the key to understand. See, the, the armor of God's not something that's hiding in your closet that you forgot to put on in the morning if you're a Christian. If you're a Christian, you have salvation. And salvation in your relationship with God is itself the armor of God. But in Philippians, it says, work out your salvation with reverence Fear and quaking, he says, that it's a serious matter. In other words, understand what has happened to you. Understand how the Christian life works, what God expects, and how to cooperate with the power of salvation in your own heart and life. And that's really the understanding of what he means by put on the armor. You already have the armor. It's your salvation. It's your relationship with God. But you've got to fully understand it, how it works, the intricacies. Let me give you an example. We were just in San Francisco, a group of us. Uh, we were bike riding. And uh, I brought my own bike, but some rented bikes there and some rented electric bikes. Now, electric bikes <laughs> are a lot of fun. <laughs> and in a place with a lot of hills, they're even more fun. Uh, <laughs> Right, And so people were just whizzing by everybody, just like, oh, yeah, they're pedaling, but they're getting an extra boost, right? Now, at the end of the day, 
uh, heard from somebody who said, you know, too bad I didn't understand how to properly use the electric bike. I didn't understand the gears, and it was spurting back and forth. And I didn't quite understand how to use the buttons and electronically cause it to supply the power in optimal ways. So in other words, they were going up a hill, but it wasn't of any value because they didn't understand how to use it, how it was designed, do you see? And so in the same way that if you don't understand the aspects of your Christian life or your salvation, things are going to be a little bit more difficult than they need be had you understood how to access and how it was designed and how to cooperate with how it was made. It was made to help you, but you can forego that help by simply not understanding and not ac accessing the power. It's available. You have it, but sometimes we don't use it. So that's the purpose here. We're diving in now. There's going to be two points, really. We're going to split up the two paragraphs to, from the here before you, verses 10 through 13. Uh, the purpose of the armor why you need it, why you really want it, right? And then the pieces uh, that make up the armor. So the purpose and the pieces follow verses 14 through 20, which we will get to, Lord willing. So let's dive in with the purpose of the armor. And it's pretty easy. I highlighted one word there, and you can see it. It appears four times. It's the word to stand. In other words, after the enemy takes his very best shot at you, you're standing immovable on safe ground, safe and sound from all alarm as the hymn goes. And so that's the point there to stand in verse 11, so that you take your stand against the devil's schemes. Verse 13, when the day of evil comes, you will be able to, there it is, stand your ground. And after you've done everything, there it is again to stand. And then in verse 14, he says, stand firm then. The purpose of the armor that all Christians have is that you overcome temptation. That you stand, that you remain faithful to your God, immovable, obedient, despite temptation to do other, undeterred from following Jesus, despite the solicitation to compromise. At the end of the day, and after all those shenanigans and all the booby traps set before you, you remain steadfast, immovable, abounding in the work of the Lord. That's the purpose right there. So he says, uh, the purpose is to stand on the day of evil. Let's talk about that. What does that mean? Well, it could be in the evil day, as they were in an evil day, that it was called it evil times then, as it is today. But the day of evil really has a nuance that on occasions when the hostility of evil is experienced in exceptional power and extraordinary ways. In other words, when your Achilles heel has been exposed, 
When you're down and out and least suspecting, when the devil is dishing up your favorite kryptonite dessert, when, you, when all the planets have aligned in all the worst possible ways for you, the devil and the host of armies unseen do not play fair. And so this is what he's saying. The day of evil comes to all of us. The day of evil, when we're despondent, it happens over long, drawn-out difficulties. When we're walking through heartache, we're especially vulnerable to the day of evil. When disappointments happen or we're offended, rightly or wrongly, when we're tired or lonely or frustrated or there are difficulties at home or difficulties in the workplace or we're depleted spiritually, And when we're especially low and vulnerable, bang, that's when he hits. And that's what day of evil is. Well, why do you think he uses the word schemes? Because the attack is timed when when you're at your best and fully aware and alert, but when you're not paying attention and when you're spiritually depleted and when a lot of other distractions are going on, that is when the scheme is put into play. The word scheme there in your text in the Greek is methodia, where we get the word method. So he says in another passage, we are not ignorant of the devil's methodia, his schemes. It, it, it means method or plan or strategy, and it came to take on an evil, crafty intent in its nuance. In other words, tactical shrewdness or ingenious deception, these spiritual forces in heavenly realms study us and know us all too well. They know just when to strike, and they especially know what your thing is, and most fallen human beings have a thing, and it's no secret to those rulers and authorities, they know a thing or two. They've been around a lot longer than we have, that's for sure. A great quote about these forces. Uh, these diabolical forces are scheming, the Bible says. They, they know and understand fallen human nature. They know our weaknesses. They know our price. They study us. They design personal, individualized strategies to hinder and to harm and to lead astray. Their intended target is us, in whom God is working. It's the work of God they're after. They are on the prowl, as Peter tells us, looking, waiting, hoping for believers especially to give them the opportunity by laying down the shield, forgetting the helmet, and misplacing the sword. And that's when they turn up the heat. Welcome to the day of evil. And so, uh, yeah, that's what an awesome quote that is. And so uh, since there's no warning because they're unseen, 
the, and the enemy uses this surprise element, right, that a constant vigilance is required. And part of the purpose behind scriptures like these is a call to arms to say, hey, uh, some of the most dangerous things in life are the things unseen that we didn't see coming. That's why you have on hiking trails that I like to go on. Once in a while, I'll see some signs that post pictures of rattlesnakes and say, you may not know this. You may not be thinking about it. You're off taking a nice hike thinking about other stuff. But please don't forget that on this trail, you better watch where you put your foot because there's these guys in a big picture of them. That's the purpose of a tornado siren, of a sign that says falling rock, because you don't know. I didn't know I was driving near. I've got to be careful. I've got to be watching. That's what the sign's saying. Something that you don't see, that you're not aware of, there's an imminent threat. So heads up, my people, heads up, my dad's. And especially dads, why don't I'm picking on dads? This is, a, this is an armor for everybody. But dads are in focus today, right? And there's a lot on the line with dads because if dad falls, the family falls with him. And that's why we're taking a look at this. Just a heads up, a little tornado siren maybe just saying, hey, just remember, the joy of the Lord is wonderful, and living the Christian life is a lot of blessings, but don't forget one little thing. There's rattlesnakes on this trail. <laughs> and it can really ruin all the good things that God is trying to do. And so he moves now to who's orchestrating right away this day of evil. Who's behind? Who's the one firing off those poison darts, waiting, lurking in the shadows? Well, he wants us to know. And he introduces him not for the first time in Ephesians, but for the third or fourth time, the devil is behind scheming, leading, quote, spiritual forces of evil powers in this dark world, rulers and authorities. He's not alone, verse 12. Wow, that's disconcerting. Uh, you know, in the best possible way, because God is just saying, heads up, I got a way to deal with him, but this is important for you to know that, number one, <laughs> your biggest problem isn't the face or the place. Your biggest problem in your marriage is not your husband, not your wife. It's somebody else. It's behind the institution of marriage and your relationship with your wife or your husband. The, the, the most divisive person in this church doesn't go to this church. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. He's saying the primary focus of the Christian's conflict is unseen forces of spiritual darkness. Listen, my friend. When, before you were a Christian, you marched to the beat of uh, the, the evil one's ways of this world, following everybody who, were, who are under the sway of the evil one. When Christ started to work in your life, you did a U-turn. And, and what happened there is that you became a target, not because you're so significant, 
but because the Lord who put his spirit in you is significant and the object of the evil one's target to hinder, to halt, to stop and to harm. And so really the end of your troubles didn't happen when you got saved, but the beginning of your troubles and praise the Lord, happy Father's Day. <laughs> In some regards, shall I say, listen, there's a, there's a silver lining to these clouds, but just hold on till we get there. All right, so there's always a silver lining with the gospel, amen? But, but you know, some, some Christians out there need some smelling salts. Oh, my word. Come on. One time I was in the, uh, just very young, I was in school. We had, a, sadly, some kind of python boa constrictor, cursed animal. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Send your emails to Pastor Carlin at <laughs> cctherock.org. Uh, and, and we used to put little mice in to, to feed him, right? And I'm sorry to use this, but, you know, the mouse was so stupid. <laughs> I used to remember thinking the mouse is just like, what is wrong with you? You know, there's a snake in there. Could you at least make it hard on him? You know, but he's just bouncing around, looking around, singing a little mouse song. I don't know. He's got his mouse buds on, you know. <laughs> he's just texting and walking around this and he's walking on top of him. And then right in front of him, back and forth, back and forth in front of its mouth. And I'm like, dude, you are a dumb mouse. <laughs> and that's the scripture saying, are you a dumb mouse? <laughs> All right, I'm, perhaps I'm paraphrasing there a little <laughs> too much. Uh, let's call this sermon, Are You a Dumb Mouth? <laughs> All right, we'll see if that goes through. All right, let's see. Okay, so he says, listen, that's your big problem. Stop focusing so much on the person and hit your knees a little bit more. It's not so much the person that you see as your problem. There's something going on behind. So it'd be good. Now, the devil is just Lucifer. He was a right-hand man up there, and he was an angel. Uh, Lucifer means light bearer. He apparently fell in love with himself in Ezekiel chapter 28 and verse 17, corrupted himself with pride because of his great splendor and beauty, and he became the devil, which means the accuser or slanderer for what he does best. His job description is to accuse you to God and to accuse God to you, right? And so he wanted to become uh, greater than God, and he said, I'll raise my throne above his throne, and everybody will worship me. Uh, Isaiah chapter 14, verse 13, that didn't go very well for him, and so he was abruptly fired and cast down, and he took a third of God's angels with him. They're called fallen angels, and the reason uh, we believe it's a third of the angels, there's a little hint in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 14 that a third of them sadly followed him and have become what we call demons. So here we have the forces of goodness, God and his rulers and authorities, his angels in heavenly realms. And he says, heads up, 
there's forces of evil as well. The devil leads his rulers and authorities in heavenly realms as well. And so here's his point in this first paragraph. Heads up, little tsunami uh, siren going off. There's a cosmic battle raging all around. And you and I are the prize that they're both fighting for control to either bless or to hinder. And so much of it depends on you and me, just as far as our cooperation goes. And so with so much to gain, so much to lose in the face of unseen dangers and realities, a little carelessness, a little inattention, I should say, uh, uh, it leads to a whole lot of pain and suffering needlessly. God, our Father, doesn't want any of that for for his children. So after getting our attention in this paragraph, God says, listen, it's going to be okay because I've got a method too. I've got a strategy for his strategy, and I've got a tactic that's better than his. Let's talk about it. So verses 14 to 18. Stand then firm with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, Uh, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. And then we have finished up now our um, passage for our reflection this morning. We looked at the purpose of the armor to overcome the wicked one's strategies and stand. And now this is how you stand, the pieces of the armor. So six spiritual tactics are there. Uh, Good little analogies from each piece of the ancient Roman uh, military armor uh, there. They called it a coat of mail, actually. And uh, this is his methodia for the devil's methodia. In other words, schemes for his schemes, as I've been saying. So, number one, note takers, if you want to be standing on that day after the bomb goes off and he does his best trying to lure you off track, You know what it says in Proverbs? It says, he who swerves from the path, he who swerves from the path comes to rest in the company of the dead. I have that one framed. Because it just reminds you, a quick little can cost you a lot more than you think. Amen? So he says, number one, buckle up with the truth. Not just any truth, God's truth. Somebody just told me I was talking about, hey, God's got an absolute truth, man. And he goes, there is no such thing as absolute truth. And I said, oh, really? Is that an absolute truth? (laughs) That there's no such thing as an absolute truth? See, you know, you just have to stop and think. And God gives you something to say 
back. And so um, not just any truth. It's not wise sage advice truth. It's not the best thinkers of the earth. It's not some fine-sounding persuasive ideas based on human understanding and logic. It's the truth of heaven revealed through the Son of God who called himself the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. So it's the truth revealed to us, which we would have never known if it didn't come down from heaven and lay itself down and raise from the dead on our behalf because it's the truth of Christ and the truth of the word of God. Now, the belt has been said to be, and I have a picture of the belt. The belt was the most important part of the, the whole suit because it held the whole thing together. Now, here's the illustration. Lose hold of the truth who God is, what he requires, how to get to heaven, how to escape hell and the wrath and the judgment of God, who we are, what we're supposed to be doing, what God requires, why we're here, what's to come, how does this, how does this whole world culminate? If you lose sight of the truth, as one writer said, the whole armor ends up around your ankles and you're a dead man walking. You'll lose your way. There's no light, no truth. That's how people fall into very large pits because they didn't see it. You can get hurt in the dark and it's real dark if you start losing the truth. And the Bible says in the last times, which we are clearly in, that professed Christians would there be a massive falling away from the truth. And so... For many professed Christians, the armor is just dropped around their ankles, which is pretty embarrassing. <laughs> you know, walking around as a professed Christian saying the Bible's a story and quoting Oprah Winfrey as a Christian and saying you don't have to worry about hell and Jesus our Savior took a beating on the cross for what? For nothing? And call yourself a Christian and represent the gospel. That's embarrassing. And friend, your armor is down around your ankles, the whole thing. And now you've opened yourself up to even worse things. Ask Eve, who compromised with truth. Did God really say? Is that really true? And she was deceived. And she lost the belt of truth. And that's how Satan got a foothold on humanity. Let's move on to the breastplate of righteousness. Called in Greek, the thorax. So appropriately. Um, Covered the body from neck to thigh. And and the back as well. I didn't know that. Uh, The heart protector it was called. And shielded your vital organs. Nothing's going to be. Uh, getting through that. Now, the really cool thing about take up the breastplate of righteousness is the first idea is, is that it's not something that you do but has been given to you, a righteousness revealed by faith. So in other words, the gospel says it's by faith you're made right with God and that right, the right re- the right relationship with God is what protects you. And that is given to every believer. So in one sense, he's saying that you have been given the right 
right standing with God through what Christ did, not your own human efforts. And that protects you from the accusations of the accuser who says, no, Roger, you haven't done enough. So on Roger's deathbed, Roger said to me, as Louise, his widow, told you, have I done enough? And I said, no, you haven't done enough, but Christ has done enough. And you know Christ and you've asked Christ into your life. Therefore, you have the breastplate of righteousness because it comes from the merit and the goodness and the death that fulfilled the wrath of God that you deserved given to you freely, which will protect you. Oh, my word, if the righteousness, the, hold up your righteousness as a breastplate, we'd all be dead men, right? Because, you know, once in a while we'll do a nice thing. You know, we'll actually bring back the grocery cart back to where we found it. <laughs> <laughs> and we all want a trophy in heaven for it, you know? Look at me. I'm not like those other losers, <laughs> You know, and so, yeah. But, you know, if you were hoping to escape hell because of your righteousness and disarm the spiritual authorities out to get you, it's not going to happen. Now, there is an application of as you live right with God, having his righteousness already in place, as you cooperate, the Proverbs are full of scriptures that say, when you live wisely and do the right thing, you're rewarded. And when you live like a fool and do the wrong thing, you experience pain and suffering. And so in that sense, to do the right thing has a protective quality about it. Do the right thing biblically. Amen? Let's move on to... The cleats, the war cleats. Now, granted, I'm going to say that this is the hardest one to understand for most Christians, especially if you have a King James Bible. It just sounds, what does it mean that your, your feet are shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace? Nobody knows what that means except back then and 400 years ago. Maybe. Now, here's what Josephus called these shoes. War shoes thickly studded with sharp nails that prevented feet from sliding. That's how you maintain your ground and stand, having enjoyed and receiving the gospel of peace. So anyone who's received the gospel is at, listen, peace with God, peace with one another, which that is the firmest foundation you will ever have from which to fight evil and live your Christian life. That's it. Reception of this gospel that puts you right with God, right with everybody else, and now dig in your heels. That's what he's saying. You got the gospel. Embrace it. Love it. Proclaim it. And dig in those heels because, buddy, you're not going anywhere. Uh, let's move on. Verse 16, on top of all this, he says, this is an indispensable addition, the shield of faith. So what he's going to say here is keep on trusting God. It's a weapon of defense. Your trust in the Lord. You're walking with him in faith. It's shielding you from all kinds of things. And so here's what he's saying. The shield was the size of 
a small door. It had two layers of wood and it was glued together and then covered with linen and hide and then bronze. Nothing was getting through it. And it was used to shield themselves from these arrows that were dipped in pitch and then lit on fire and fired over. How hospitable is that? That is not, <laughs> not very nice, but it was a very popular um, form of warfare. So here's what he's saying. Your salvation, you're walking with God. The simple fact that you woke up today and you're trusting God acts as a shield to you when he fires those flaming, burning um, darts. They were called ancient missiles, believe it or not, because he is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Proverbs chapter 30 and verse 5. One army general wrote down, and it's recorded in the history books, that no less than 220 of those darts were sticking to his shield. That's just amazing. The fiery darts, he says in your verse, will be extinguished. What does that mean? Well, the father of lies, this is what he does. He misrepresents people to you. He distorts what your wife said to you and mangles it so that when you hear it, you hear something that she did not mean. This is what he does. You think misinformation today is a big deal, that fake news today on cable networks, news networks is a big deal? He's the father of lies. And so he aims constantly. Here's an arrow. What she really thinks and what he really meant and who you really are and who do you think you really are and, and all the terrible, burning things that into us and we go to sleep we can't sleep because we're churning and burning he says look to me trust in me read a psalm you'll be protected from that nonsense though I'll tell you what the Holy Spirit is one good antacid to anything burning in your belly I like that I thought it was creative <laughs> I was going to say I'll try it again next service, but guess what? <laughs> you were my last resort. <laughs> yes, indeed. Here's one quote, and then we'll move on. The shield of faith is lifted up as we continue to trust. The fiery darts are continued to fly. The lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, the taunting, the harassment, the fear, the worry, the what-ifs. The anxiety, the passions, the cravings. The Holy Spirit guards our hearts with his peace. And the word of God redirects our thoughts to the truth. And the incendiary attacks of the evil one are quickly and efficiently snuffed out. Simply by you trusting the Lord. That's how it goes. Verse 17 We've got the helmet of salvation. This is a real interesting one. It's probably my favorite. The helmet of salvation is something that God has given you that you need to remember who you are. This is simply the point. You must remember your destiny and that nothing can stand in your way. 
not in all of creation, can separate you from your God-given destiny because whoever's been born again overcomes the world. And that would include spiritual forces (laughs) and evil rulers and authorities in unseen dimensions that you are a child of God and his spirit lives in you and that you are saved. This, my friend, is the helmet of salvation. And as you embrace your God-given salvation and destiny to be one day reigning and ruling with Christ, your behavior will reflect that. And you will conform to a worthy walk that protects your life from doing things that are unbecoming and undignified and quite worthy, uh, quite unworthy and troublesome and creating trouble for your life. Let me give you an example. Barb and I were out, Chinatown, and it butt up against the seedy side of town. We were walking to get to the restaurant and we had to walk by one of those places with a man outside the door Barking up a storm, trying to get guys to come in. So I paused there, and I had like a little moment. It doesn't happen a lot. (laughs) The first service did the same thing there. (laughs) All right, it happens once in a while to me. All right, I I look for opportunities like that. And so I kind of stood there, took a sip of water, And I kind of got a word of knowledge. And I'm just kind of watching him do his thing. And I walked up to him and I said, you were not raised this way. This is not your destiny. And he says, how do you know anything about how I was raised? And I said, well. And he said, yeah, maybe. Turns out, apparently, he was raised in a Christian home. Had a Christian experience at one time and was in a major backslide. And I reminded him, sir, you have a different destiny. How could you stoop to something so unworthy and beneath someone who will reign and rule with Christ forever? And you're out here doing something so untoward, so base, So vulgar, so low, you misplaced your helmet. I didn't tell him that, the helmet part. (laughs) But I'm making the application. And there are a lot of men who have put down their helmet. They forgot to wear the helmet. Oh, it's uncomfortable. (laughs) You're going to get your melon cracked. (laughs) This is what's going to happen. Listen, you're going to look at those images as a child of God, a warrior for the king, a reigning, ruling king in heaven, a king. That is what God promises us. And a queen. Is that how a queen in heaven is going to speak? The helmet of salvation. Put it on and live up to it. And then he goes on to quote, he says, and quote scripture, use the power of God, the sword of the spirit is the word of God. 
Interestingly, there's only one piece of offensive weapon to do battle, and that's the sword of God's word. A very telling picture of Jesus appearing at the battle of Armageddon when the skies bust open and every eye shall see, and there he is, a king with, quote-unquote, many crowns. And he is there with blazing eyes, but I love this, a sword coming out of his mouth. And listen to the power of that sword. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads on the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And here's what he's saying. The same word for that sword that comes out of his mouth by which he strikes down the nations, he puts that sword in your hand to use. Well, after all, you're going to need it. He told you the devil is leading a force, an army of rulers and authorities of spiritual powers in dark places that you can't even see, and they're targeting you to destroy you. Catch. This will do them in every time. Works for me, he says. Works for me to strike down the entire earth with what's in your pocket, what's in your heart, what's in your mind can subdue a planet. And I just thought you might be using, needing to use a weapon with that kind of power. But the devil's biggest ploy is to distract you from that very thought so that you'll never use it. Why do you think it's so hard to read your Bible every day? Because it's the sword that will do him in. And so he makes it an uphill battle. Every time you want to open that book, your phone will ring. Every single time you will enter into a thought that says, haven't you got something else to do? Every single time. Why? You'll be undefeatable. You'll be unstoppable. You'll be a menace to the kingdom of darkness because the same power that God subdues the world is at your disposal. And all you have to do is quote it. So the Son of God has been fasting 40 days. He's, he's going into battle with the evil one. And the evil one starts to tempt him. And he says, it is written, Deuteronomy. It is written, number two, Deuteronomy. Number three, it is written in Deuteronomy. The Old Testament was enough for Jesus. And he used that word to defeat him as an example for us. So use it. Use it on yourself. Use it when you're listening to your thoughts. Address yourself with the word of God. No temptation has taken me except that is common to every man. And God is faithful with every temptation to provide a way of escape. It will not allow you to be tempted more than you are able. But with that temptation, he will always provide a way out. First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. How does a young man keep his way pure? By hiding your word in my heart. 
though Christian, read it, know it, use it, love it, cling to it. Try it out a couple times. It's amazing. You want to talk about a sharp Ginzu knife? <laughs> Woo! You'll cut through all kinds of power. All right, moving on. He finishes with prayer. Let's go back to the verses. Now, do you see, he says, and pray. Talk to God about everything. That's what he's saying. And, and not just to, don't talk to him just about yourself, but talk to him about other people. Now, here's the point of verse 18. He didn't just give us, like, you know, you know, uh, a formula, right? Because we're good at duties, and we're good, okay, step one, two, three, four, five. Oh, there are six principles. i got to get the six principles. I, no, he, he gave you six principles, but they mean nothing without a personal relationship with the God of the armor, you see, so by talking to him, being in relation to him, he's really just saying, talk to God about everything. There's all kinds of reasons to talk to him. There's communion every day. My favorite way to pray is to take a cup of coffee in the morning, walk my neighborhood. And I just kind of talk to him as if he's standing right walking with me. <laughs> because, yeah, amen to that. I'm starting to amen you guys. <laughs> That's what he wants. So here's what he's saying. Yeah, I thought of this. I always have an illustration for something, right? So, so here's what I was thinking. A jet airliner. You can show the picture. A jet airliner. It's equipped. It's got a lot of safety features on that Airbus that you're on. And it's got a well-skilled uh, crew and a pilot. It's got everything. Everything's working. Everything's great. But he can get into a, a whole lot of trouble without air traffic control. And if you just ghoul around, heroic air traffic control saves the day. Oh, you will, and you can listen to them talking. And at the last possible second, a pilot is in error. Something's malfunctioning. It's telling them one thing, but it's not the truth. And air traffic control can see an air traffic control site steps in, and last year, some Canadian pilot got confused, and he's in an Airbus, a big, fat jet airliner, and he's trying to land at our fair airport, San Francisco International, on top of three other Airbuses. And air traffic control goes, what? Turn, turn around. I forget the phrase. It, it just means take off again, buddy. Take off again. Go around. So the thrust goes down and up instead of landing into the airbuses, which they said a thousand people would have died. But for air traffic control said, go around and you can have your armor in place and know why you believe what you believe in all of this stuff. But unless you have the frequencies open, and you're listening, and you're talking, and he can get through to you, and at the last second, go around. And you go around, and tragedy is diverted. You can go back to the text as I now close for the very last time. <laughs> I wanted to close on this thought. Yeah, it's pretty intense out there. 
But you know what? We've got the joy of the Lord. We've got salvation. We've got predestination. We're going there. And there's nothing the evil one can do to stop us. Right? And we live in that joy. We live in that peace. God wants us to live, listen to me, in a peace and a joy that nothing the enemy could ever do would thwart, thwart the purposes of God. Martin Luther had this vision of the devil himself. And I believe that it was really true because Martin Luther changed the course of world history. And we are Protestants because Martin Luther lived. Now, Martin Luther had a vision at night. In the middle of the night, he felt the presence of evil. And he woke up to quite a shock. And he had a vision of the evil one at the foot of his bed. And he sat up. And he realized, this is the evil one. And then he said out loud, oh, it's only you. And rolled over and went back to sleep. I love that one. Oh, it's only you. He's at rest and peace and assured of his eternal security. And there's nothing that Satan can do to harm him. He was not afraid in the least. Oh, it's only you. There are two sides. Go somewhere in the middle. Enjoy his peace and love. And let us read together the last scripture of the morning kind of an upbeat scripture that reminds us it's not about the devil and his schemes it's about the predestination and love of God <laughs> amen so I'm going to read it to you and why don't you pick up with me at around uh, 37 after the dot 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 okay okay so here we go what then shall we say in response to these things if God is for us who could be against us <laughs> He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It's God who justifies. Verse 34, who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or, or things uh, or the, where are we? <laughs> oh yeah, it's hard to do this. Or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. And then together, no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's stand. Closing song. All right. Worship team, come on up here. And let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that nothing can separate us. In all creation, we don't need to be afraid or overly concerned, but just walk with you every day and trust in our God who protects us in powerful ways. We thank you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen. 
You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.